It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and of course, I got my co-host, Matt, here with me. Matt, there is never a dull moment in New York Jetsville and Florham no, Park, New Jersey. Never. There is always something crazy going on, always going to be reports flying around, people changing roles, people changing spots, and and most recently, as of officially yesterday, changing offensive coordinators. Michael Floor has been let go of his duties or as the uh, the official narrative has it said, a mutual parting of ways, quote unquote. And the Jets have an open spot at offensive coordinator for the first time in two seasons and the first time under head coach Robert Sala, where it seemed like a few weeks ago at Sala in some press conferences talking about would he let LaFleur go? There was questions over the offense and their success to end the season. And it seemed like Sala had some pretty good support for him. It seemed like that he was going to try and be patient and he understood things took time, related it to his own situation in San Francisco as a defensive coordinator, where his first two years weren't that great, but Kyle Shanahan didn't give up on him. And the next year, they had one of the best defenses in the league and were in the Super Bowl. Well, how quickly things change, because here we are, not but a few weeks later, if even, you know, a whole two weeks and the Jets have an opening at offensive coordinator, they're going to be on the lookout for a new person to run their offense. We got to talk a lot about this situation. First and foremost, Matt, I want to get your opinion here. There's been a lot of flying reports. There's been a lot of confirms, denies, and everything in between. Take us through the timeline of yesterday, of of how this first planned out, what was first said, where it went from there, and and where we are now, now that officially Michael Floor is no longer the offensive coordinator. Yeah, so uh, it was I was in the middle of work and uh, I started seeing reports from a strange uh, source about uh, about the Jets parting ways with offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur from Aaron Wilson, uh, who is, I guess, normally a, a Houston Texans uh, reporter. But I, I, I guess he does uh, break some stories on the national stage. Um, so I was a little skeptical at first. Uh, and then came the the instant denials from the beat writers, like, no, this is not true. Hey, this has not uh, been uh, decided. They're still uh, deliberating what they want to do. Um, and then there was silence from Aaron Wilson. And I, 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 I a lot of people that know Aaron Wilson uh, reached out and uh, they he confirmed to them that he's sticking with his source. Uh, and he believes in that what he said was was right. And then all of a sudden later, he turned out to be correct. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the, the Jets are parting ways with, with LeFleur. Um, so it was a wild, oh, he's gone. No, he's, he's still there. Oh, no, no, he's gone again. Uh, back and forth, uh, a wild roller coaster, like any other day being a Jets fan. So it was par for the course. Uh, and then, yeah, so now we're just left with the uh, speculation of what really happened, uh, whether uh, he was fired, they agreed to part ways, uh, did, did Woody uh, man, uh, d- uh, the decree onto them that they had to fire LeFleur, uh, 
Did he lay down the wood saying, hey, this is how it's going to be? Uh, did, did Salah cave in? Did Joe Douglas just stand by? Uh, there's so many things that have been on the top of everybody's mind lately uh, and speculations galore. Uh, and a lot of it, I feel like, is all, you know, just just a made up uh you know, craziness that Nonsense. fans like to believe that just the, you know, fuel the fires of, of, uh, of gossip and, and storytelling. But, uh, I, I think there's a lot, uh, that that's been said by Sala, by JD, by Woody that have kind of painted a picture that I feel is acceptable. Uh, I would like to hear what you think the real story is though. Yeah, I think it's very, very simple, uh, and I'm not going to hold any punches or or try and, you know, beat around the bush here. Robert Sala fired Michael Ford. That is what I think happened. And I think the initial report from Aaron Wilson that came out earlier yesterday morning was 100% accurate. And I think the only reason that it's turned into this circus, for lack of a better word, is because the Jets got scooped. And they don't usually like to let information leak out of their building. They usually like to be the ones that break it so they can form and set the narrative how they see fit. And they didn't get that opportunity this time where news broke sooner than they were expecting and they had to do damage control. That's where you saw the immediate from the Jets. Let's get the beat on the phone and go, nope, this isn't true. You know, we haven't fired him yet. They weren't outright vehemently denying that he wasn't going to get fired, but they were very clear that he has not been fired yet. And this decision still ongoing. Well, only a few short hours later, it came out that they were mutually parting ways. And apparently as the story has been told and as Robert Sala has tried to pass off as true, The Jets were planning on keeping Michael Floor. Then this report that was not accurate, quote unquote, comes out and says that Michael Floor is going to be fired and that he is going to be moving on and no longer going to be the offense coordinator. That apparently caused other teams and organizations around the league to call the Jets and inquire about LaFleur's availability, presumably to hire them for themselves in some sort of similar role you would think as an offensive coordinator if this is going to be a lateral move for Michael Floor. So after that happens, they have their conversations and Sala and LaFleur and Joe Douglas and everybody all agree that it's best if LaFleur goes and seeks out these other opportunities that he could have. I don't buy that at all. <laughs> there is nothing in me that thinks that that is remotely even close to true. I, how on earth would the New York Jets being in the position that they are if they were believing in Michael Floor after the results that we have seen and said, you know what, we're going to run it back with this guy, Robert Sala, he's, you know, I know this guy personally, I believe him, I trust in him, and we're going to keep him here. Why would other teams calling and asking about his availability change their mind? Why would that lead them to go in the opposite direction and go, this guy that we have faith in, that we believe in, that we're going to ride through the storm with and, and you know, be here and work it out, we want to keep LaFleur here, Another team calling and saying, hey, is he available? We'd like to, you know, give him an opportunity. He could come work for us. We're trying to get opportunities and and see who we can fill out on our staff. Why would that ever cause the Jets to turn around and do the opposite and let LaFleur go seek op- other opportunities? If anything, you would think it would lead them to keep LaFleur even more. If yeah. anything, you would think that that's reinforcing their decision to keep him, to go, hey, well, it's a good thing we are keeping this guy because other guys around the league, you know, they seem to want him too. And if you remember, Matt, you go back when the Jets were playing the Seattle Seahawks and Robert Sala was talking about, I think he made this reference in, to Michael LaFleur directly, actually, where he was talking about players that the Jets had let out of their building a little bit early that had gone on to succeed in other places. And he brought up Geno Smith saying this is a guy the Jets had and and he got out, you know, to when he was young and he had some rough play as a starter uh, early on in his career. And he goes on and, and goes to some other organization and is able to thrive and continue on with his career. And how many times are the Jets going to see players that they have walk out of the building and go thrive somewhere else? Well, this is the exact situation. And you're telling me that after saying that, that Robert Sala went, yeah, sure. You know what? We were going to keep you, but another team wants you. So just go ahead. We're fine. We can change our minds now. B.S. I don't buy that for for anything. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't give that away to me, let alone buy it. I think the reality of this situation, like I said at the start, Robert Sala made a call, knew this offense was really struggling, knew that he, he had a playoff caliber team. And even with the injuries and even with the instability at quarterback, 
they had an opportunity to get into the postseason. They had an opportunity to make some noise and break the longest playoff drought in currently the NFL period for any other team by a wide margin. And you just saw the complete and total collapse from the offense at the end of the year where they only score four touchdowns over their last five games. They went their entirety of their last three games without scoring a touchdown at all. And your offense was dead in the water pretty much as soon as Mike White's ribs broke. Mm. That is not a, a sustainable situation. The other side of this that's really important that I've seen a lot of people arguing that you alluded to, Matt, I don't think this was a Woody Johnson decision either. Because it doesn't seem like there's much friction between Joe Douglas and Sala from Robert Sala's press conference today, the first he's had since this news was breaking. I didn't get the impression that he was beaten down. I didn't get the impression that this is a guy that's being forced to go up on the podium and claim a decision that wasn't his and that he would rather have kept to the floor. And Woody said, no, you're firing him. I'm the owner. It's my decision. I did not get that impression whatsoever. I got the impression that Sala made this call and he's trying to do right by his friend and save face and make things look as nice as possible and give him other opportunities where, you know, that's I I do not see a world where I'm not trying to sit here and say I think Woody Johnson's perfect and that he never would ever do something like this or, or or defend Woody in any sort of capacity here. I just don't think that's what happened. And there's nothing from this situation that I've seen publicly from anybody or just how it's being sold to the masses that says that this was a a Woody Johnson scorched earth. I'm making the call and coach solid deal with it or leave. I, I That's not the vibe that I get whatsoever. So I think it's very important for everyone to realize Robert Sala made this call and he knew that things had to change and he knew that he had to go in a different direction and find someone that knows what they're doing at offensive coordinator because for all intents and purposes, it's now his job on the line going into the future. And if the Jets were to have another stinker of a year in 2023 and win five or six games and miss the playoffs again, Robert Sala is probably without a job. Joe Douglas is probably without a job. And the Jets are hitting the reset button once again for what feels like the umpteenth time. This was a a needed move. And we've had discussions over the last couple of weeks, you and I, Matt, where we've been talking about LaFleur and how he's in over his head and how we're dying to see any amount of creativity or or changes to the scheme where you don't have to completely flip your offense overnight, and we know the offensive line is struggling, and we know the quarterback position is struggling, but we just want to see more of an effort and more of a, a plan to try and make up for that. And I know we had had a discussion when we were, I think it was last week, when we were talking about the possibilities of LaFleur being let go. And the point that I made that I'm going to stick to is it's so much more about the process than the results in a lot of ways, where if the Jets offense was failing because their offensive line is awful and their quarterback situation is a disaster, for lack of a better word. But we saw LaFleur trying to fit in new wrinkles, trying to, you know, come up with ways to change his offense and put guys in the best position to succeed. And it just wasn't working because the execution wasn't there. That's a completely and totally different story. The players are not without fault and the injuries are not, you know, completely are not irrelevant to the situation. There are other factors at play here. It is not solely Michael floor was calling the wrong plays. And if he just called something different, everything would have been better, but we saw the exact same offense with Mike white and Cedric Abwehi and Mike Remmers at tackle and and Dan Feeney starting at guard at the end of the season as we did week three and week uh, week two and week three when you had your as healthy of an offensive line as you could have hoped for. Brees Hall in the backfield, Elijah Vera Tucker, whether it was early Zach Wilson or late Joe Flacco, what have you. This was always the exact same offense. And what we had been begging for for so long was some game planning to their opponent each and every week. Some plays specifically taken off film from other teams that have worked against their current opponent in the past and seeing that they can implement that for themselves or or just really any sort of an idea to feel like the Jets offensive coaching staff knew what they were doing and knew who they were going against. Where I feel like LaFleur had this idea in his head that our system is so good, it doesn't matter what defense we're going against. And that I'm going to have answers to, you know, regardless of what we're seeing, we know we can identify the coverage pre-snap. We'll have an answer for it. And it doesn't matter the scheme. It doesn't matter the players go through your progressions. And if it's not there, get to the check down as fast as possible and we'll be okay. That's not good enough in the NFL. It's just not. 
you can't run an offense like that. The defenses are too good. They're too smart. And it's just, it's not a sustainable way to have a functioning offense. So I think this was Robert Sala doing what he had to do as head coach of the New York Jets for the good of this team, for the future, for the good of the, any hopes of luring in any veteran quarterback, if that's going to be the case, or if they plan on drafting another quarterback, either this year or next year, or sometime in the near future, they knew they had to have somebody else in this building that could guide this offense to where they want it to be. And it just wasn't Michael floor. And it's a tough decision. Mm -hmm. You hate to see it happen, but it's a business. This is the NFL. The positive for LaFleur before anybody gets anything twisted, his contract is guaranteed, so he's getting paid. And he's likely going to get another job somewhere else. Whether it's as an offensive coordinator or not is yet to be seen. But while I may not buy that there was a ton of inquiries from other teams looking to hire him, if he gets a job pretty quickly, then maybe it was true. If not, at the very least, I think he's going to end up in Green Bay working with his brother. So <laughs> yeah. Michael Floor is going to be okay. I'll be fine. And, and, and we as I don't want people to sit here and and trash Michael Floor and turn this into the you're so terrible show and and we need to sit there and dance on this guy's grave because that's not what this is about. But we can also objectively look at the situation and objectively look at the process as well as the results and say this isn't good enough and we need to go in a new direction. That's what Robert Sala did, and I'm really glad as a head coach that he had the balls to do it. I'd agree. Uh, see, I think I'm going to go in a little bit of a di different direction in how I think this all went down because I feel like there's morsels of truth in how they said things went. Uh, but of course, those little morsels don't add up to the picture that they really painted. So when they say that they wanted to keep LeFleur, I think that they did have discussions about keeping him. I don't think they had discussions about keeping him in his current role, though. And therefore, was he fired or was he forced out? And I don't think it really matters what term you want to use. But if they were going to diminish his role in any way, I don't think that's a situation he, he was really going to stand for. And when it comes to other inquiries from other teams, yeah, maybe that's just his brother calling, say, "Yeah, I got you, bro. Like, you need a place to, to you need a couch to lay on. I, I got one right here in Green Bay." Uh, so, yeah, they they can be like, "Okay, yeah, there's an inquiry from another team, and look, we were going to keep him as maybe a passing game coordinator and bring in uh, whole new coaches or whatever, uh, and uh, whatever. Maybe there's some truth to that." And I completely agree. I don't think that anything was a mandate or dictated by Woody. Uh, it, it, it Between Douglas and Sala, they're just not the guys that will take that kind of dictation about who their staff is. No, about no they're who, not. About the decisions they are making. It seems like the vision that they painted uh, to, to Woody is the vision that Woody's still following. And they're, he's not going to jeopardize that by uh, being the Woody of old, the Woody that would that will do anything to get Tebow in. Uh, I don't think that's what happened at all. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, and the fact remains, change needed to happen. I believe what Woody did get across to, to Sala and everybody was that this was bad. This what happened this season was horrible. Uh, he does. He won't stand for it. The fans won't stand for it. Something needs to change. Something that will make sure that this doesn't happen again. Now, I don't think that's dictating. Hey, fire Lafleur. But I think that means look within and figure out what you're going to do to fix this. And yeah. After that, I believe Sala looked within and realized, yeah, we need to change a lot of things on offense. And that starts up front with LaFleur. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think that there's there's a, a, a fine difference between Woody Johnson giving his opinion and saying, I think the offense needs to be improved. And I don't know if if this guy's the right guy to do it and letting Sala know how he feels and giving him a mandate to change someone on his staff because he's the owner and he says so. There is a huge, huge difference between those two things. And I think it's very likely that Woody Johnson gave that opinion. But I really don't think that that Sala is the type of person, quite honestly, that would stand up and take that. 
I don't think that he would be the type of coach that would ever let an owner tell him what he has to do with his staff, especially if this was a situation where Sala wanted to keep him. I really don't think that that Robert Sala would be comfortable going along with that sort of situation. And I think he would go to Joe Douglas and say, Joe, you know, I don't know what I can do. I don't know if I can be here. This is a major problem. This is not the working relationship that I want. And from everything that we've heard from not only Douglas himself, but Sala as well, Woody has given them the autonomy to make their decisions. Now, could that just be them speaking to the public and saving face for the owner, you know, publicly? Sure. We can't sit here and say for a guarantee that that isn't the case, but I really feel like there would be more friction. I feel like we would be able to see it in in their faces and the way they're talking. The one thing about Robert Sala that I can say is he tries to stick and do the coach speak and and you know say what he has to say when he has to say it as the coach, but you can always tell that when he's being genuine and when he's not. You can tell when he's just giving the coach speak answer. You can tell when he's just saying what he has to say to the media. And you can tell when he genuinely believes something and when it's just something he has to say. And I did not get that impression whatsoever that this was something that he's going up on the podium and he's got Woody with the dagger eyes standing behind him with his arms crossed, waiting for him to say the wrong thing. That's not what I felt. And I I don't know. I'd have to double check exactly which reporter asked the question. I think it was Connor Hughes, but I'm not 100% sure. But they had the press conference earlier today and Sala was talking about how they had the inquiries from other teams. And he said, you know, I'm going to try and do right by people and give him this opportunity to go seek something else. And we think that'd be in the best interest for everybody. So I think what you're saying, Matt, is very, very likely that LaFleur was likely getting demoted. And that if he wasn't going, if he was going to stay, it was not going to be as the head offensive coordinator and that there might be another role that could be around. So maybe the other inquiries from teams could have been, well, we have a, a passing game coordinator spot or we have a, a position coach spot and LaFleur, you might just be nothing more than a quarterback coach or you might just be nothing more than an offensive assistant. And here's an opportunity for you to go somewhere else and continue your career and, and not have to face the 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 brunt of the media of you got fired. And I think this is Sala trying to help his friend in any way he can in a tough situation. But it's obvious that it was his call. And Hughes asked the question, you know, if you had guys calling about this guy that you were planning to keep, why would that make you want to get rid of him? Exactly like what we're saying. And Sala's answer was basically, well, you know, we wanted to give him the best opportunity possible. That means he was getting cut down. (laughs) The best That's opportunity the, is not with them. <laughs> right. That means that the best opportunity for Michael Flora was not here with the New York Jets. And Sala knew that. And he didn't seem like heartbroken, disheveled, beaten down. If this was truly and honestly a, a Woody Johnson forcing of this situation, then give Robert Sala an Oscar for being able to, to front like this was not the case. I go back to after the Denver game where Brees Hall and Elijah Vera Tucker both get injured and both are announced out for the season at the exact same time. And you could see in Robert Sala's face, it was like someone in his family died. He he looked completely and totally disheveled. He looked completely and totally just run down and, and scared, for lack of a better word. I didn't get any of that from watching him today. I didn't see that in the slightest. I got the impression that this was Sala as the leader of this team, knowing he had to make a tough call and trying to do everything he can to stand by that tough call at the same time, standing by a guy that he respects and considers a friend. And then there's quite honestly, that's the best you could hope for, for a head coach where you're making the right call for the team and you're not going out of your way to go scorched earth on the guy on the way out. I think this is how you handle things like a professional. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't know. It, I, I think that in the end, everybody's going to wind up in a place where their careers are going to be furthered. They're going to be able to continue doing what they're doing. Uh, Sala, he's going to be able to rebuild his offense uh, with uh, some with new faces, but maybe more experienced faces. Uh, you got Lafleur; he's probably going to end up uh, in a place where he's going to be able to continue his his uh, career as a coach and maybe make his way back to an offensive coordinator. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to work out in the end for, for everyone. 
and then you have a lot of naysayers and pessimists that are coming out now saying, you know what? Now that we got rid of LaFleur, who's going to want to come and be our offensive coordinator? And I don't stand by that at all. I, I think that our position of offensive coordinator is going to be a highly sought after one. When you look at the talent that we have uh, and and what the ha- talent we've had at the end of the year, even without uh, AVT and and uh and hall uh there's still a lot of guys on this offense that you can mold an offense around and do a lot of things with do a lot of damage uh i think that alone makes it intriguing and then whoever's brought in is probably going to have a great deal of of input on who the next quarterback is and as woody has made it known he's willing to do anything to get that guy to get that quarterback that's the missing piece He's not looking at the offensive coordinator as the missing piece. He's looking no. at the quarterback as a missing piece. So he's ready. He's ready to do whatever needs to. Uh, and I believe JD feels the same. I think he's ready to go all in to to really get the quarterback that we need to make that extra step. Uh, and another thing that people saying was like, oh, but there's a playoff mandate next year. I'm like, that, that's bullshit. I, I, Woody himself said, that there's no mandates. He doesn't believe mandates uh, work. Um, and even if he's faking it, I don't think that that's something that's real anyways. I think that the coaches are well aware of the situation in that if they have another year like this year, that they're probably gone. Uh, that that There's no mandate. That nobody needs to say there's a mandate for them to know that. They know that. And I think Lafleur even knew this was happening. That the the move to have him removed or demoted was probably in the works well before it was even mentioned. Uh, the the way he sounded in his his final press conference, uh, he was kind of just taking accountability and saying, "When you do and you have a, an offense like the offense we've had in the final uh, weeks of the season, it's not something that." You can really hang your hat on. It's not something that you can count on to when to keep a job. Uh, and he, he sounded like he, he had a foot out the door uh, before it was even considered that he actually would be out the door. Uh, so it, I think these coaches are very uh, in tune to, to exactly what's at stake. Uh, and really, playoffs are in, in the Super Bowl are the goal every year. It's not like next right. year. It's uh, they're going to be uh, any team is going to be looking at uh, at, a, at a wasted year where uh, they're not trying to make the playoffs. Uh, so playoffs are always the goal. Super Bowl is always the end goal. End goal. Uh, so that's not changing. Uh, if an offensive coordinator is brought in, that's going to be their goal as well, and they're going to see a team with a lot of talent that's willing to get the quarterback. Uh, and a defense that can hold their own against any offense. Uh, and they're going to see that this is a prime position to really push themselves forward. Because if everything falls the way that it could fall, they're looking at one of the prime positions to be in. If you fix the, the Jets offense and bring this team into the playoffs after the drought that we've been on, they're going to get instant head coaching calls. Yep. Uh, so it, it's it, it's just the way it is. Uh, so do I believe that this is an undesirable place to be an offensive coordinator? No, not at all. No, I, I completely agree. I, I do not think that this is a job that is going to be incredibly hard to fill and the Jets are going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel for candidates whatsoever. Before we get into that, looking at who could possibly be replacing LaFleur and filling this role. I think there's two points that I want to make really quick to kind of just, again, set the narrative straight and get everyone on the right, on the same page and in the right mindset when looking at the situation as a whole. First and foremost, speaking about LaFleur, I think it's very important to realize that when you had, in the instance of Michael Floor, if he was to be retained in any sort of capacity, 
even say if it was to be retained as the offensive coordinator. There was a lot of talk and speculation for weeks leading up to this that the Jets would be looking to bring in some sort of veteran presence, a senior offensive assistant, what have you, to come in and assist LaFleur on the offense and be that guiding force, be that guiding presence for a guy that was a rookie play caller himself and was in his first stint calling plays in the big leagues and hadn't been an offensive coordinator for years and years before that at a tiny little place called Davidson College, I believe, is where Michael Floor was the last time he was calling plays. Funny enough, I'm pretty sure that's the same college Steph Curry went to, but that's just a weird aside that you have when you have weird connections. <laughs> anyway, the important part about LaFleur no longer being the offensive coordinator is that now when you're looking for those other candidates and you're looking for the quality of guys to bring in, you're not convincing them to take a lesser role. You're not convincing them to come in and be the the, the shadow puppet behind the strings pulling LaFleur and making LaFleur look a lot better as the offense coordinator than he is when you're just the, the senior guy who's coming in and, and really making things the way that they are. Most coaches in the NFL outside of the the guys that are truly, truly the veterans that have been around the league, that have gotten their shot, that are towards the end of their careers, most coaches in the NFL are always looking to move up. They always have aspirations of being a head coach. Everybody wants to be the head coach that wins the Super Bowl, and that's the goal, and that's what it should be. So it's very hard to convince people that would be quality in their jobs enough and knowledgeable enough to fix this offense to have them come in and not be the full-blown offensive coordinator. I think that is a really tough sell and you were going to be limiting the type of candidates that you could be bringing in to fill that role if that was going to be the case. On top of that, and this is something Sala himself has said today in his his press conference, they're no longer tied to the wide zone Shanahan scheme that they can they're going to cast a wide net and they're going to, regardless of scheme or anything else, that they have philosophies and and convictions that they're looking for and plans that they're looking for, for who they want in their offensive coordinator. But they are not solely looking for guys that run an offense that Sala was familiar with working in San Francisco and LaFleur was familiar with learning under Shanahan. That's not going to be the case anymore. And if you were keeping LaFleur, then when that senior guy you're looking to bring in, he has to be part of that scheme. Because you're not going to have a veteran presence come in that runs a different offense and have a conflicting ideals of of an offensive systems going on in the same room. That's going to be the opposite of productive. That is quite literally counterproductive. Now you have a wide open open spot where whoever you bring in is going to have the freedom and the autonomy to run whatever scheme they think is best, whether it fits that wide zone scheme or not. And I think that's really important because you're not pigeonholing yourself into candidates uh, one way or the other. And quick aside on this scheme, because I know when Sala first got hired and we were talking about the scheme, we praised it because when it is successful, it is very, very dangerous. And at its best, it is one of the best offenses in the league. We see that with Kyle Shanahan. We saw that with Sean McVay at, at his peak. We've seen Zach Taylor be successful in Cincinnati running it. We've seen Kevin O'Connell in uh, Minnesota. Gary Kubiak was their offense coordinator before that. He had that same scheme. Matt LaFleur in Green Bay. There's been a lot of guys around who have run this scheme. But I also think that's kind of the problem. This scheme is everywhere and defenses are used to it. This isn't unfamiliar anymore. Half the league is running this offense. You can trace the lineage of, of this coaching tree from Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, all the way up to Mike Shanahan in Washington and Denver. And before that, it's all over the NFL now. And it is so easy for defenses when they when they're playing the same offense, practically six, seven times a year. The Jets had seven games themselves against opponents that ran this very same scheme to varying degrees. Everyone has their own twists and nuances and wrinkles included, depending on their players and their personnel, what have you. But at its core, this is the same offense that's permeated throughout the NFL. And I think defenses are catching on. And I think that's why you're starting to see the offenses that are still successful are the ones that either have superstar head coaches and play callers like a Kyle Shanahan or are the teams that have superstar talent to help it run. The Vikings had Justin Jefferson, who has put up a monster uh, season at wide receiver, who is absolutely blowing the doors off people. The Rams last year with Stafford. Cooper Cup leads the triple crown in receiving. Matt Stafford puts a ton of passing yards and touchdowns up. You go to Cincinnati with Zach Taylor. Joe Burrow's an elite quarterback. Jamar Chase is an elite receiver. Yeah, Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback. They had Devontae Adams for a period of time. They have Aaron Jones, who's a very good running back. 
you can go down the list on and on and on of guys who are running this offense. And the only one really that does it at a super successful clip without just a bunch of stars around them is Kyle Shanahan. And even still, he has Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle and Debo Samuel and, and Brandon Ayuk and an offensive line that's a fortress. So I think that there is a a bit of, of a misconception that the scheme is the reason for all of these guys succeeding. I think that's the common denominator. But I think at the end of the day, you're looking at the personnel being what carries the scheme more than anything else. And when that personnel isn't there, it's a lot harder for this scheme to be effective as the Jets saw the second they lost Brees Hall. Where you lost your your most explosive piece on offense, you lost your your home run hitter, your bell cow, the, the engine that made your offense go. And that's when, as an offense coordinator, like we said before, Matt, that's your job to do something different to keep things afloat. And you can't just rely on the scheme to figure everything out for you. And I think that was the problem. Yeah. I mean, I, when it comes to scheme and Sala, I think he doesn't care at all. I think he wants just an offense that is going to flow, that's going to complement his defense. Uh, so yeah, he doesn't care if it's, it's somebody from the Shanahan tree or from anybody else's tree. And yeah, I think the, yeah, you're right. I think like there's something like 13 teams that run some kind of version of the Shanahan offense. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's becoming one of those trends and trends usually die. So yeah, it's like the Seahawks defense. Exactly. Where if you it, remember in the beginning of the 2010s, the Seahawks in 2013 have this legendary defense go on and win the Super Bowl and all their assistant coaches started getting jobs other places and you saw them carry that same scheme over with them, Robert Sala being one of them uh, as someone who followed around a bunch of those guys and you see it work in spurts in some places and other places not so much to the point now where Pete Carroll doesn't even run that defense anymore. <laughs> Where he decided, okay, it worked, but now things have changed. The league has caught up to this, and we got to go in a different direction. I, I really think that that's what's happening here, and I think it behooves the Jets to their benefit to maybe go out and find someone who isn't pigeonholed to this scheme. Let's get into some of these candidates that could fill this role. Matt, I want you to go ahead and start off because you're pretty high on a guy in particular. That Not that I disagree with you at all. I just haven't done as much research into him, but I'm really curious to hear more. So tell us about Bill Callahan. So Bill Callahan, uh, I think, is one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL. Uh, everywhere he goes, uh, a, a top tier offensive line somehow forms and uh, kind of takes over the, the league in, in the run game and in pass blocking. Uh, he's with the Cleveland now, I believe. Yep. Uh, he he was on the Jets before, I believe, during our our heyday of of the offensive line, uh, with the man. Two thousand eight to two thousand eleven. Yep, right when the last time we were in the playoffs, there was Bill Funny Callahan enough. with his offensive line, uh, getting us there with our ground and pound offense. Uh, so when I look at how best to fix this offense, yeah, a quarterback is definitely. The, the most important position and we'll get us there. But I see our offensive line as pretty much the linchpin. It, it, without that getting fixed, it doesn't really matter who our quarterback is. They're going to have a hard time. It doesn't matter. Well, you know, maybe with Hall at his best, it doesn't matter if our offensive line is bad. He'll still get his yards. Uh, but at the same time, it will help him a lot. Think about what he would do with a good offensive line. So that's, that's a scary thought on its own. Uh, so if we can fix that, if we can get Callahan and his offensive line uh, in here, uh, I think that will go a long way in fixing the offense. Now, Callahan does have some offensive coordinator experience, uh, which wasn't the best uh, in his first stint. So I believe he would need some help, especially in the passing game. I think he is in control of everything uh, on the ground, but in the air, I believe he can definitely use some help. Uh, but as a, as an offensive mind uh, and as a guy that can really uh, raise up our most struggling and our most hurt position group, uh, I don't think there's anybody better than Bill Callahan. I tell you what, Matt, I, I just went and looked it up. I looked up Callahan's history and. 
his first stint as an offensive coordinator was with the Oakland Raiders from 1998 to 2001. He eventually was promoted to head coach of the Raiders and served in that role for two years from 2002 and 2003. His second stint as an offensive coordinator and most recent came with the Dallas Cowboys from 2012 to 2014. Let me give you the Cowboys rankings in terms of yards and points for those three years that he was their offense coordinator. Keep in mind, this was under Jason Garrett at head coach. In 2012, his first year, they were 15th in the league in points. They were sixth in the league in yards. In 2013, they were fifth in the league in points and they were 16th in yards. Funny how that flipped. 2014, his last year as offensive coordinator under Jason Garrett, they were fifth in the league in points and seventh in yards. Boom. That's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> that's not bad. That would that's worlds better than anything the Jets have had in the most recent years. And you look at his experience following that after his stint as offense coordinator at the Cowboys, he goes and becomes the Redskins offensive line coach for a couple of years from 2015 to 2019, added the assistant head coach title in 2017 to finish out those two years. And you think of the offensive linemen the Redskins had during that period of time, Trent Williams, Brandon mm-hmm. Scherf, they mm-hmm. had a good line. They they had a very good offensive line. That's been something they've prided themselves on. You now go to Cleveland, uh, 2020, 2021, 2022, since he's been in Cleveland as their offensive line coach. That's another team that's had a very successful offensive line. Joel Batonio at guard. You have uh, Wyatt Teller on that team as well. You have Jedrick Wills, um, Jack Conklin at right tackle. They've had a lot of successful offensive linemen. And as we saw when the Jets played the Browns this season, they had a couple of guys missing and even their backups came in and played pretty well. So I I think Callahan would be a great, great candidate. I I really do. I think that you have a guy that's going to focus on the offensive line, which has been a huge problem for this team. John Benton, the offensive line coach and run game coordinator, was one of the coaches that was also let go with this turnover. So there is going to be a need there. I would be very, very happy with Callahan. Based on what I've seen and based on how he was as an offensive coordinator recently, I think that would be huge. For people wondering what sort of system he runs, it is different from the Shanahan West Coast. It is still a little bit of a West Coast, but it is a disciple of the Don Coriel air raid system, which that was the kind of the Shanahan offense before the Shanahan offense, where Don (laughs) Coriel in the 70s was lighting the league on fire with his passing attack, and it has since bred throughout the NFL for years and years on. It's been one of the staple systems in the league. This is a pro-style offense through and through. You have a guy that's a proven offensive line guru. I'd be all for it. Yeah, Uh, and he's been in this league uh, since, what, uh, 1995? Uh, so he's got a, yep. a a large black book of of names that he could bring in to fill a lot of the other vacancies uh, when it comes to maybe the quarterback coach uh, soon, maybe once if if they finally let Calabrese go uh, to our offensive line coach, which he would probably step in and be as the offensive coordinator slash offensive line coach. I could see him just taking that on uh, himself. Uh, and any other uh, vacancies that might come about uh, wide receiver coach, but we're, we're going to need to find a new one there as well. Uh, I think he has the experience. Uh, he's got the track record and I, I can't think of a single other person I would trust more to fixing this offensive line than him. No, if you're looking at just that specific question of who do you bring in to fix an offensive line, Bill Callahan's got to be towards the top of anybody's list. And I could not disagree with that more. Moving on to a different candidate. This is where uh, the guy I'm going to highlight more of a well-known name, but one I think would be a very, very lucrative opportunity for the Jets to add. And that's Frank Reich, former head coach in the Indianapolis Colts, was fired midseason this past year and is now looking for another job. Now, the the roadblock here is that Frank Reich is getting some head coach interviews. He only has one scheduled at the moment with the Carolina Panthers, but that doesn't rule out that he could have others. And there is still the possibility that he makes a lateral move going from head coach to head coach. But if Frank Reich does not get any of the head coach openings right now, that is Arizona, Denver, uh, Carolina. God, we went over this before the show and I immediately <laughs> blanked it. Carolina, Arizona, Carolina Denver, Arizona, Houston. And Indy, which he just got Denver, fired, Houston so. and Indy. Exactly. OK, so he's not going to get hired again with the Colts because they just fired him. Seems like the Texans are are looking for more of a younger guy. I'm not sure that that would be their first guy. They don't have any interviews scheduled with him. So that one's still up in the air. Denver seems pretty set on Sean Payton. And I don't know if Kyler Murray is quite a Frank Reich sort of quarterback. 
That's still up in the air again. But under the assumption that Frank Reich does not become a head coach again, he's going to be looking for a job and it'll likely be as an offensive coordinator. The current offensive coordinator openings in the NFL are the New York Jets, the New England Patriots, the Tennessee Titans, and the Washington Commanders. I think the Jets are one of, if not the most attractive of those openings. When you're looking at things as a whole, when you're looking at these rosters, when you're looking at the defenses to go with them, the head coaches you're playing under, I think the Jets and the Titans are one and two. And the Titans, the only reason I'm putting them next to the Jets is because I think Mike Vrabel is a proven coach. I think people believe in him. I think their defense is solid and they've had more recent success than the Jets to be completely and totally honest about reality. That's just been the case. But the Jets would be an interesting opportunity for Rake. He also used to play for the Jets at points in his career. So he has some connections to Florham Park as well. And you have a guy that's very experienced, has play caller experience, was the offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles under Doug Peterson when they won their Super Bowl. That's what kind of got him the job in Indianapolis to start with. You have a guy who, like I said, was a player. So he has the player experience to relate to the players themselves and can say, I was in your shoes. I was in the league. You know, I was in the quarterback meetings as the quarterback getting shoot out. I've been the backup to a star in Jim Kelly. And I can relate to Mike White saying, you know, here's your opportunity to get your shot. There's a lot of positive relationships there. And I think as an offensive mind, the one thing I love about Frank Reich is that he's very, very multiple, is that he can have the wide open spread passing attack and we're going to get in shotgun and go four wide and we're going to throw bombs down your head. And he can also get tight. We're going to have two tight ends. We're going to run down your throat and we're going to take Jonathan Taylor and rush him for 1800 yards. There is uh, nothing that Frank Reich isn't willing to do offensively. And he is not a wide zone sort of, you know, stuck in his ways guy. He has some very, very good power running concepts that I think would quite honestly with the Jets current offensive line makeup and potentially offensive line makeup in the future, they've really struggled with this wide zone scheme. I think it might help them a lot to go in a different direction. So Frank Reich could be your quarterback whisperer, could be your offensive line help, could be your run game help, could be someone that's got the veteran presence that's been around the league for as long as you could possibly hope for. There's a lot of positives there. The negative, and this is something that my co-host Lamont Jordan brought up when we were recording Believe in Jets earlier, and it's a very, very good point, but I also think this can be said about any offensive coordinator the Jets bring in, and it's something you alluded to, Matt. You do well enough in this role, you're probably getting head coach interviews. And for a guy like Frank Reich in particular that has head coach experience, he does really well. At, he might only be here for a year. And you get offensive coordinator Frank Reich for a year. The Jets offense does well. The Jets get into the playoffs and he goes and gets a head coach job somewhere else. And now you're back at square one. So this is where I think it's important with Frank Reich in particular. And this is a pairing that Lamont brought up. And I just I love the idea so much. I'm repeating it here because it, it truly is, in my opinion, just with my own thoughts and rankings. This is my dream scenario for the Jets offense. You bring in Frank yeah. Reich as offensive coordinator and you bring in Pep Hamilton, the former offensive coordinator, as the Texans as his quarterback coach. Now, before everyone freaks out and goes, oh, my God, why would you ever bring in somebody from the Texans? Uh, especially on offense, to try and help your team. Take a second and realize the track record that Pep Hamilton has as a coach and specifically coaching quarterbacks. Basically, every quarterback this guy has touched has turned to gold. He was brought up uh, before he got to the league in, in a serious capacity as more than just a position coach. He had had some quality control positions. He was actually the Jets quarterback coach in 2004, their wide receiver coach in 2005, and then he goes to Stanford in 2010 and in 2011 and 2012 was their offensive coordinator and quarterback coach and coached Andrew Luck into being the first pick in the draft. He was, Luck was so happy with Pep Hamilton and swore by him so much that the Colts ended up bringing him on as their offensive coordinator in 2013. And he follows Andrew Luck to Indianapolis under Chuck Pagano and runs their offense for the first couple of years as Andrew Luck's career. And if anyone remembers that far back, everyone was thinking Andrew Luck was about to be the next Tom Brady. People were saying Andrew Luck is is well on his way to a, a fantastic career in his future. I think that that is absolutely worth noting. And then you go most recently, 2020, he's with the Los Angeles Chargers, and he guides Justin Herbert through his rookie year and leads Justin Herbert into being an excellent quarterback that he's now been, where Herbert wasn't expected to start early. They had Tyrod Taylor, and if it wasn't for the Chargers doctors puncturing Tyrod Taylor's lung with a needle, <laughs> oh, Justin Herbert likely wasn't going to be playing that early for the Chargers. 
despite that, he plays, he gets in the game, he immediately starts playing well. Pep Hamilton's able to guide him as quarterback coach, and he goes on, and now we see what Herbert is. After, you know, I think it's his third year in the league, he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league, and I think Pep Hamilton had a huge part in that. You go back just a few years ago, 2021 in Houston, he's the offensive coordinator or passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach in Houston. And Davis Mills, as a mid-round pick, was outplaying some of the top rookie quarterbacks taken in the top 10. And a lot of people were thinking, did the Texans find their answer in Davis Mills? Now, that didn't hold up this year. And we've seen things might have changed afterwards. But is that more... Pep Hamilton failing everything, or is that Davis Mills coming back down to reality? I think you got to give Pep Hamilton credit for coaching Davis Mills up to be effective in the first place, especially looking at that Texans roster where their offensive line is good. They have some good tackles. They have a very, very good tackle in Laramie Tunsil. Titus Howard has played well on the other side at right tackle. They had a solid rookie running back this year in Damian Pierce. They have a pro receiver in Brandon Cooks that's pretty solid and not a whole lot else on that offense. It's not like this is a comparatively to someone like a Mike LaFleur, where you have Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, Elijah Moore, two tight ends and Conklin and Uzama that can play. You got running backs out the wazoo behind Brees Hall and Michael Carter and Ty Johnson. And you have a second overall pick at quarterback and all the talent that he possesses to potentially coach up. I really, really love the idea of a Frank Reich Pep Hamilton pairing where on top of the fact that I think Pep Hamilton is the perfect sort of guy to come in, and if you are going to keep Zach Wilson on this roster and hope that he can improve, I don't know if there's anybody in the league that has shown that they can do a better job of that than Pep Hamilton. So I think that's a huge boost for Zach Wilson. On top of that, you give Pep Hamilton as an experienced guy in the league, get him with Frank Reich, get him in that same sort of offense. If things go well and Reich gets promoted somewhere else, then you move Pep Hamilton up into your offensive coordinator role. And you can keep the ball rolling. You can keep your same scheme and not have to completely and totally start from scratch and reset everything. I am as soon as Lamont mentioned this today, it's been like the alarm going off in my head. Oh, my God, (laughs) I want to see this happen so bad. I agree. Don't get me wrong. Bill Callahan, I'd be very, very happy with Bill Callahan. If this is not a Reich Hamilton or bust situation for me, but that is so far at the top of my list. And I would be overjoyed if that were to be the case. I really think that is best case scenario for the Jets. Yeah, when when you look at what Pep Hamilton has done, especially when he's had the talent uh, as an offensive coordinator, if we're talking about maybe him uh, getting boosted into that role, if you look back at the Colts, what was it, 2013, 14, and 15, uh, he was top five, uh, top ten uh, in offense and, and scoring. Uh, so if we can build, we already have a lot of pieces on this offense. If we yes, give them a quarterback already uh, as well, uh, I think it's kind of just set up for him uh, to just keep the ball rolling. If 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 Reich, uh gets this this team to be a juggernaut on offense uh, and gets sent a, uh, gets a job elsewhere, yeah, I think Pep Hamilton can come right in, take that that the mantle, and continue the work and make us uh, maybe. Uh, uh, a, a multi-year contender on offense. Uh, I'm all on board with that. Uh, uh, these between Reich, Pep Hamilton, or Callahan, and and, uh, and somebody else. Uh, as I think between those two, uh, those are my top two choices. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I really do. I had to find out more about Bill Callahan to really go into his background and see, because I knew he was a great offensive line coach. I had to research his time as a, a coordinator a little bit more, but after doing that, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think those are the two best options for the jets as a whole. Looking at this, uh, an important thing to note is I'm sure in the very near future, probably next week will be our quarterback speculation episode over what do we do? Veterans trades, free agency trade up in the draft, mid round picks, et cetera, et cetera. An important thing to note that Robert Sala said today, whoever their offensive coordinator is, is going to have a say in what they do with the quarterback position. So I think that's an an important thing to note is 
you whatever guy you're bringing in, whatever scheme you're running, you're going to try and find a quarterback that they're on board with, that this isn't going to be a forced marriage. This isn't going to be a situation where the Jets have their quarterback plan in place and they are going to find a guy to coach the quarterback they have. I think it's a much more fruitful situation to bring in your coordinator first and then collectively as a team with that coordinator's opinion accounted for, come up with a plan and attack on who you want to be your quarterback. I think that's the best thing for everybody. I agree. Uh, I think the whoever it is, they're going to come in, uh, and the whoever we, we already know that Woody and JD and everybody are willing to go to the map for who they want as quarterback. Uh, and I believe that the two options that we've mentioned so far uh, are guys that are flexible, that they can take whoever they uh, they get uh, and form an offense around them. I, I don't think they're going to be stuck in any. Uh, offense that won't benefit the quarterback that they have. Uh, these guys are are experienced. They they've been around the league and have run different offenses and been part of different offenses. Uh, so it yeah the the I I believe that whatever the pairing is uh, that if we go through the two options that we just mentioned that they'll be able to make it work. I think so too. I really think so, too. And most importantly, when you're looking at both of these guys in Callahan and Reich, the one commonality between them really is that they believe in having a strong offensive line up front that's going to hit you in the mouth as many times as they can. And that is something that the Jets have been sorely lacking under Robert Sala, where we had talked for weeks on end leading up to the 2021 season, Matt, where we've talked a lot. Identity is a huge part of teams. And what is your identity? What do you want to establish? What do you want to be known for? What's your calling card? And what do you want your team to be about? And I think you look back at uh, Joe Douglas and his time in Baltimore, where there's the Ravens are one of the biggest identity teams you're going to find in the league, where regardless of who they have uh, on their team, you know, for a fact, the Ravens are going to have a strong defense. They're going to have a strong defensive line. They're going to be big and nasty up front on the offensive line, and they're going to run the ball down your throat regardless of anything else going on, when you show up to play Baltimore, you know those things are are a 100% certainty. And I think the Jets want to be a similar team where Robert Sala preaches effort, technique, and violence. And we're going to be the team that's going to outlast you. And we're going to drag you out to deep water and see how long it takes for you to, to find out you can't swim. <laughs> they want to have that killer attitude. They want to have that, that nastiness. And, and the offense has been really lacking. The defense brought that this year, for sure. But I really think the offense has been missing it. And I think in Callahan, as well as Reich, you're going back to that more smash-mouth mentality. And it doesn't mean oh, we're only going to run the football and we're going to get in 22 personnel sets and and that's going to be our offense and that's what the Jets need to do to survive. That's not what I'm talking about. It's just about the mentality that when it's third and one and you need to move people out of the line of scrimmage and get a yard to go keep the chains moving, you're not going to get your center walked back four yards in, into the backfield. You're not going to have your guard, your, your $40 million left guard getting his crap pushed in by no names on Jacksonville anytime you're trying to run inside, run up the middle. That's not going to happen anymore. They're going to, these guys are going to demand so much more out of their offensive linemen. And like we've been talking about the last few weeks, Matt, when we've been covering offensive linemen prospects. This frees them up a little bit to go for the guys that might not be as fleet as foot but have that power and have that strength to move people out of the way and open up gaps. I, I think it's a, it's a match made in heaven. And I really think that this is the mentality that the jets need, whether it's Frank Reich, Bill Callahan, et cetera, that's going to be the mentality they're going to bring in. And I think it's exactly what the offense needs to succeed. Absolutely. Yeah. I and mean, I think a lot of the guys that we, oh, the prospects that we talked about uh, kind of fit the bill of, of multifaceted offensive linemen. Uh, that could either play multiple positions or play in multiple schemes. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that's kind of the the vision that we need to have going forward for personnel and coaching is multifaceted guys uh, that can kind of mold their game to what we need uh, or to f mold their game to what fits best. Uh, and the results will play themselves out. Well, I believe that, that any kind of fluid and uh of, of one single vision especially in game planning 
uh, with Lafleur, you could see like the game planning kind of uh, be abandoned, or maybe right off the bat once he sees it's not working, uh, and then you would just see the spaghetti being thrown at the wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, so it'd be nice to have some kind of of coaching where it actually seems stable and well thought out. Uh, and I think once that happens, uh, the, the team will buy in and we'll start to see the same from them. The disjointedness from the coaching staff will lead to disjointed play. So stability up top first, and then stability will trickle down to the players. 100%. 100%. I couldn't agree more. Matt, I think that does it for this week. If you have anything else to add, feel free. The floor is yours, but I think we got this one pretty much covered. I think so. Now it's just a matter of who. That is going to be the question. Who is going to be the voice brought in? It'll be interesting to see the, any of the reported interviews that maybe come out over the next couple of days. I do not expect the Jets to want to wait very long on this. I think they want to get started with their offseason plan as soon as possible, and they want to get started with the plan of who's going to be their quarterback as soon as possible. So that's going to be interesting to find out. Make sure you guys are heading on and tuning into the show. Staying right here. We will have everything covered for you. Next week, how about we break down some quarterback uh, speculation options? How's that sound, Matt? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Well, you guys make sure you're coming back for that. Make sure you're following the show at OKD Podcast on Twitter. Let's go ahead and drop our handles. Call this one a day. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jets. And you can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And we will be back next week to once again, as it seems like tradition with this team, speculate about who the next quarterback of the New York Jets will be. Thank you guys one more time. And we'll be back real, real soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.